to Colossians uh, chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14 this morning. Excuse me, it feels a little awkward to be here this morning because uh, the last time I was in a, a worship service with, with fellow believers, I didn't have these annoying lights right here in my face. Instead, I was in the back of someone's house with a, a tent over my head and blankets thrown on the floor. And all the instruments that we had were a drum and a, a tambourine. And boy, could they play that. And uh, so we had a, a wonderful time. And out in the distance, you always have this, this wonderful wafting smell of, uh, of a barnyard just kind of making its way through the, through the service. So this morning smells too clean for me here in the service this morning. But first of all, I want to thank you for all of you that uh, prayed for us who uh, went on the India mission trip. Uh, it was a great time. Uh, it was a fantastic team uh, that we had. I felt like God truly did uh, use all the different skill sets and, uh, and talents that were brought to be used there in India. And uh, it certainly is a, a place of, of great need, a place where I feel like God uh, has called us as a church and a place where we can help to build up Christ church and build up Christ's kingdom halfway around the world. And so you will you will certainly be hearing more about our trip and all that went on. I, I can't possibly share all the things uh, this morning with you. But there was one problem. Um, there was one area where I did not represent you all well uh, as a church. And I thought I got through the whole trip um, not having to represent you in this area, but it was kind of like on this last day, uh, we were in the, the school compound and uh, we were actually, so it was in a time of training that they were doing medical training. Mike and Jason and Ashley were providing medical training. And then in the distance, I heard this drum beating. Over and over again, and it kept getting louder. And I was like, boy, that's annoying. What are they doing? And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, Srinivas decided, well, we, let's, let's take a break. And all of a sudden, he started saying, hurry, boys, run, run, let's, let's go. And so I, I made my way out there, and there it was. It was two men playing their instruments and some other men. And then it was the Banjar ladies who were just wishing that Grant was there, but instead he wasn't. And they were dancing in front of the entire school with all children uh, lined up and ready to laugh at me in particular. And I tried my best to avoid, you know, that's when you go like, where's, I hardly took pictures the whole time, but that's when I was finding a camera, all right? Let me find a camera, let me find someone else's camera. And well, Srinivas uh, decided, he, I think he takes great pleasure in this, making me feel embarrassed. And he grabbed me and he throws me out in the midst of these Benjara dancers. It was scary. It got so bad that one of the pastors, as they were watching us, um, he all of a sudden, I was going around doing whatever I thought I was doing. I was actually, I was following Mike Harden because... Mike Harden is the man of all cultural know-how. That brother can dance the Manjara Boogie, all right? 
And so I was just trying to keep up with him, and I was just following his footsteps. But my feet were moving, but something else wasn't moving. And, and I found out real quick, this pastor literally grabbed me by the hips, and he started moving my hips. And they don't work that way. So I, I didn't represent you well in the area of Bonjara dancing, but I, I did provide a lot of laughter, okay? There's something about mission trips. They do something to you. I've been on several before. But it's always refreshing to, to go again. Mission trips to foreign countries, particularly to places like India and other countries similar, they have a way of kind of just uh, scraping off the, the callousness uh, that forms on our Christianity. They have a way of kind of rocking our boats and scraping away the, the idols of consumerism and comfortableness that like to slip their way into our American Christianity. And I saw this and, and I was reminded that what real Christianity is about is not this consumerism and comfortableness that we so make, make our American Christianity about, but it's, it's more about commitment and cost. And I was reminded about this in, in a couple of ways. The first was more in a, a, a negative example, but one of the many stories I heard was one particular lady who lived there very closely to the school where we were at and had been impacted by the school. And she believed in Jesus and she wanted to believe in Jesus more and she wanted to follow Jesus Christ as her Savior, but she wouldn't commit because she was fearful of the persecution and the rejection and possible abandonment that she would receive from her family. And that just kind of rubbed on me and it kind of rubbed that I'm just comfortable. Then there was another story of a pastor in particular that I loved these guys. These guys traveled from hundreds and miles away to come, uh, to come and listen to me. Why, I don't know, but they did. They were hungry to come and to, to learn how to minister and one particular pastor I took a, a liking to, he reminded me of the commitments and the cost that it's, it is to follow Christ. As I asked about his story, and he told how he, he was called by God to go back to the Banjara people and to go into these villages, which were not comfortable places to be. And how God had called him in, to come back and to evangelize and to pastor and he told me the story how God led him to, he thought he was going to one city, but through a, a set of circumstances, God led him away from that city and to another city where he showed up and there were no believers there. And he's actually, the day he shows up, it's raining, he doesn't know where to go, and, but God provides as God is faithful to do and he, he leads him to a, to a place to stay. And then he eventually, he, he's burned with, all right, what do I do now? How do I, how do I reach these people? Because there's no one I know here. There's no one who knows Christ. And then God in his faithfulness, guess what he does? How to bring his first convert. His first convert hears that there's a pastor in the village. And he just simply walks up to this pastor and says, I want to follow Jesus. Show me how. 
But that was spent through hours and days and months of prayer to even the lead up to that provision. His second convert came to Christ, but there was cost and commitment that came with it because but because he led this second convert to Christ, his the parents of this convert began to beat this pastor because of his leading him to Christ. And I was reminded again of the real commitment and cost there is to follow Christ. And then I, I, I was, as I was talking with him, I, I asked him, well, how do, you, how do you want me to pray? How can I be praying for you? One of the things he prayed or asked me of was, well, first of all, uh, the place where we meet doesn't have electricity. Could you just pray somehow uh, we can get electricity? And then I come in a place like this and the electricity blinds me. And then the second thing he prayed And this kind of leads into what I want to talk about today. Is he asked me, I want you to pray for the people who have put their faith and trust in Christ. That they will stay faithful. That they will not fall to the pressures of their family and friends who are pressuring them to abandon Christ. But that would you pray for them? That they would stay faithful. And that you pray for them that they would grow, grow deeper in their walk with Christ. And as I thought about that, the verse that, that came to mind and the verse that I want us, the verses I want to share with you this morning, were a prayer that's found in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. In Colossians 1, 9 through 14, I I determined that this is the prayer that I want to, to pray for these, these, these people that are in my fellow pastor's church. It says this, Colossians 1, 9 says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, To please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Amen. I like this prayer and I thought this prayer was pertinent for these people in India, but also pertinent for us. As I think about the comfortableness and the the consumerism that we fall into, we often fall to that even in our spiritual practices and in our prayer life. And as we examine this verse here briefly this morning, I want to propose this question to you and to myself. As we look at this passage, ask yourself, how might this model prayer of Paul deepen our own personal prayer life in the prayer meetings that we attend? How might this prayer that Paul prays here, how might it deepen our own personal prayer life in the prayer meetings 
that we attend. I've been to many of prayer meetings and I've come away from many of our prayer meetings frustrated because of their lack of depth. I'm, a, I'm all for and we should pray for needs. We should pray for hurts. Those are things that we must and we should. But the majority of prayer meetings I attend, they lack something. Matter of fact, as, as I examine the prayers of the Bible, as I look at them, they are far more focused on my sanctification. That is, how am I growing in Christ? How am I being set apart to Christ? They are far more focused on my sanctification than my satisfaction and my gratification. Is there far more concern of how more deeply am I walking in Christ versus how well are my circumstances are going? I think Paul's prayer does that for us. Paul shares this prayer amongst the people, the church in Colossae, who were, were facing threats from false teachers. These false teachers were telling them that... Uh, Christ is okay, but he, he's not enough. Just simple knowledge that, of Christ that you have, that others have taught you are, it's not enough. You need more spiritual experiences in addition to Christ. And Paul comes to combat that. Actually, leading up to verse 9, he gives thanks for the fact that, one, that they have faith in Christ. He gives thanks for their love that they have for the brethren. He gives thanks for their hope that they're placing in the eternal things of God, of, of heaven. He gives thanks for the work that the gospel of Jesus Christ has done. And then he prays this. He says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, that is your growth in Christ, your grasp of the gospel, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, right there, I get convicted. I'd ask myself the question, who are the people that I am not ceasing to pray for? Can you ask yourself that question? Do you have somewhere written down at home or maybe in your, in your notebook somewhere? Are there a group of people that you're, you're so moved by the love of God and so moved by love for the concern of your brethren in Christ that you don't cease to pray for them? As I looked at this, I was convicted. <laughs> Matt, you have an opportunity to, to pray for these brothers, fellow brothers in, in, in India. But Matt, I also know your habits, how easy you forget things. And I felt a burden that oh, this, this needs to be my call. For you, maybe it's your, your husband. Maybe you pray for him every once in a while, but do you, do you cease not to pray for him? Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's fellow brothers and sisters in Christ here. Are, are they such a burden? Do you have such a love and a passion for them that you care for them, that you, you want to cease not to pray for them and their, and their spiritual growth? We've got to make that a part of our life. He goes on to say, here's what he prays for them. 
He says, and he asks that you may be filled. He cease not to pray and, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In essence, what he's saying is, hey, you don't need to be filled up or you don't need to have extra knowledge beyond Christ. But what you know about Christ, what is being revealed to you about Christ and in and, and God's word, this I want to pray that you are filled up with this knowledge of his will, his will being that which is revealed clearly in God's written word, the scriptures for us. And he prays that you may be filled with this knowledge. No, this knowledge here is a intensive, deep and, and thorough knowledge. That is, he's praying that he wants them to go from just the milk of God's word and his will, that he wants them to grow deeply into the meat of God's word and his will. In essence, he's saying, I want you to be filled up with, with the knowledge of Christ. Now we say, well, well, Matt, aren't there a lot of people who know a lot about God and, and don't live it out? Yeah, there are. And Paul's not talking about intellectual knowledge here alone. When he says, be filled up with the knowledge of his will, literally what the, the idea of filled up with is that it, it will control you. It's not just knowledge that fills your head, but it's a knowledge of God's will and his truth that comes to have a bearing on your heart and your hands, that it controls your convictions and your attitudes and your behaviors and the choices that you make in life. This, this phrase, to be filled up with, it's used in uh, Ephesians 5.18 of the Holy Spirit. And in that, in that sense, he compares being filled with the Holy Spirit to being drunk with wine. And all of us are, are familiar with what wine does to you when you get too much, right? It controls you. All right. It controls your behavior. It makes you do things that before that you might not do. In essence, what he's praying here is, see, I want you to be filled up. I want you to be, in essence, maybe drunk with the knowledge of God's will. I want it to so fill you that it controls your life. That maybe in ways that you have never behaved before, it will so control you and change you that you, you act differently. You act Christ-like. It's a controlling factor of your life. Another indication that this is more than just mere intellectual knowledge is that Paul prays that you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will. And get this, this is important. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You'll be filled up in a way that it comes with spiritual wisdom. It is something that doesn't come from our own self, but that comes from God. It's God-given. In fact, one of the prayers that I pray the most, particularly before any time anyone walks into my counseling office, is I go to John chapter, or James chapter 1, verse 5, and where it says, If any of you lack wisdom, ask of the Lord and he'll give it. I have to pray that often. Because in and of Matt Reynolds and in and of himself, I am, have no wisdom. And what wisdom I conjure up, you don't want in one of my counseling sessions, okay? 
You want spiritual wisdom. You want wisdom that comes from God. And that's what he's talking about here. When we talk about wisdom and understanding, they're, they're somewhat synonymous. Wisdom is, is what James McDonald defines as the ability to connect theology to life. I like that. I love to study theology. I like to read theology books. That's probably why I do what I do, right? But you know what? All that knowledge, all that truth about the study of God does you nothing unless you have wisdom that can take that knowledge and you connect it to life. Theology is very practical, but we can't leave it up here. We have to connect it to our, our hearts and to our hands and to life. That's the wisdom he's speaking of here. He also speaks of understanding, and, and understanding seems to carry that sense of taking it further from connecting theology to life to the actual taking of that knowledge and letting it work out or be lived out. It's the understanding of how to apply it and to carry it out. And that's what Paul is praying here for. It's spiritual wisdom, which means, one, it's going to be foolishness to those who don't know Christ. All right. It also means, again, that this comes from God. But it's taking this knowledge of God's will that you're being filled up with and it's bringing it to bear on life. Wouldn't you want somebody to pray that for you? Wouldn't you want somebody to 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 pray that the knowledge of God's will would would fill you and to control you? And that with all spiritual wisdom and understanding that you would apply it to life. I need that prayer. Some of you might be thinking, well, well, the knowledge of God's will, man, I, I read God's word. I know what it says, but there's so much about God's will. I just don't know. Well, let me share a little thought that was shared with me. God's will is more about our sanctification than our, our location. What I mean by that is. The more we are filled with God's will and his word, the better we will be able to discern that unknown part of God's will in our life. It is the more that we allow God's will, word and his will to fill our lives, those uninformed areas that we're just kind of waiting, you know, those things like who should I marry or what job should I take or should I live in Woodway or Hewitt's, all right? Those kind of things that seem so vitally important, and they are. The reality is if we are more filled up, if we're filled up continually with God's known will in our life, it helps us make and discern the decisions about those unknown things in our life. Now, there's probably some college kids here that would like to find a mate someday, right? Sorry, you can look at me now, all right? You'd like to find a mate someday. Because I've been there, all right? And you, and you got this, God, would you just please write it in the sky? Would you write in the sky whom I should marry? Who is it your will for me to marry, all right? And I learned over time the best way for me to discern that is to get into God's word and know what kind of woman I should marry, 
And so when little Miss Elizabeth came walking by with her brownies and stuff, I looked at her and I said, I started examining and I started looking at what God's word says. And I said, yes, God, this is your will for me. And though I was slow to it, I moved in and I married her. And God will do that with other circumstances in your life. Now, why do we do this? We pray, first of all, we should pray for each other that we're controlled by the knowledge of God's will. But second, notice the reason, the reason for this in verse 10. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. A couple things. First of all, knowledge ought to lead to obedience. Okay? That our knowledge of God's will ought to lead to our obedience to God's will. So that we will, it says here, so we will walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Now, the idea behind this word walk, in Hebrew particularly, it's, it's symbolically referred to one's conduct all throughout the Old Testament. And this idea of walk referring to one's contact or conduct was also carried over to the idea in the Greek as well. And you see, in, in the thinking of the, of the Hebrew mind, particularly of Paul and what he was thinking, to him, Hebrew, knowledge and conduct were inseparable. That is, they, they were bound to each other. That if you had knowledge of something, then it should certainly follow in, in conduct. And I quote, from their perspective, one did not truly know something until he or she did it. It is, you can have all the knowledge there is, but in the Hebrew mindset, you really didn't know anything until it affected your conduct and your behavior. And you walked in a manner worthy of the Lord. You obeyed it. But notice this. Who do we do this for? Look in the text. We're We're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects that is as you grasp the knowledge of god as you begin to to walk in in, in, the, in the ways of the lord you begin to please him you bring him glory do i do these things because uh do i walk in this manner for myself no do i, do I walk in this manner just to to please mom or or to please dad no The absolute standard of measurement is why we do what we do. It is for the glory of God. See, the reality is that when when we were created for, if you go all the way back to creation, we were created in the image and the likeness of God. We were created to relate to him and we were created to represent him. What we were created for is we were created to glorify God. And if we don't live our lives in that way, we will never truly experience real joy and satisfaction in life. See, it's a good thing to live our lives all out for God and to please him and please him alone, because he knows what you and I were created for. And he, he, he knows that only as we seek to please him and to live for his glory can we begin to experience the real joy 
and the real satisfaction that he has for this life and for all eternity. So Paul prays and his companions pray that we might live in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, that pleases him. This begged the question, hopefully for you as well, are your prayers and my prayers, are they marked by not a what will most satisfy me, what will most please me, or are they marked by what will most please God? Do we even pray for our children in a way, not what make our children most happy, do we, but do we pray for our children in a way that what will make God most pleased? Do you pray for your children that way? I believe that's what he calls us to. Now, what is the result of all this? Well, starting in the second half of verse 10, we see what we call four participle phrases. And, and they all they all continue. They're in the continuous present tense. They're, they're ongoing. So Paul begins to pray so that out of this, that there will be these four things that will be continuous and ongoing in the life of, of the believers in Colossae. The first is. Bearing fruits in every good work. That is, we are are to be so filled up with the knowledge of God and that we apply it. And as we apply it to our life, then fruits comes to bear. It's just like in the vision statement of uh, Fellowship Bible Church. Everyone know what our vision statement is here? Grant, do you know it? Okay. Growing deep. All right. And what? Oh, man, you guys are we're doing a terrible job, Grant. Growing deep and reaching out. Right. And Grant uses the picture of that uh, tree. And only as we grow in the knowledge of God's will and as our our roots are are firmly planted, we need to get a picture of this up here, Grant, and have this vision statement there because they're not getting it down. All right. But only as we grow in the knowledge of God's will and as our roots deepen. Out of that, we begin to grow and we bear fruit. And that's what Paul is praying for here. That we're continuously being growing and bearing fruit. And then he follows it up with this other, uh, other uh, prayer. And he says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So you're filled with the knowledge of God's will. You, you're, you're seeking to live life that pleases him. You're bearing fruit. And then he, he prays again that you increase in the knowledge of God. What's he, what's, didn't he already say something about the knowledge? He said something about the knowledge of God's will. Here he says something a little different. First first of all, I see kind of a dynamic connection. That is, I think a a connection between that doing God's will leads to bearing fruit, and bearing fruit for God leads to increasing knowledge of God. Kent Hughes puts it this way, and I quote, The more one truly serves God, the more one opens to the knowledge of God, the more one knows of him, the more wants to serve him. I believe that we can't just get stuck hearing good sermons, reading scripture, but we need to jump out of here and we need to go and we need to serve. Because as we serve God, we become dependent upon God because we get in here like, Lord God, I don't know what I'm doing. I need your help. I cannot serve these four year olds. All right. 
They drive me nuts. All right. You got to give me patience with them. You got to help me in this. Or he may call you somewhere else. He may call you somewhere to India that you've never been out of the country before. And it's in that time that you've, you've accepted that challenge to go. And it's in that time you got to say, God, I'm going to get to know you better because you got to help me. See, as we serve God, we begin to, to go know more about God. But there's something else about this, this knowledge of God here. Notice, because my knowledge is not just consumed with facts, but it's consumed with a person. Notice what it says here. It's the increasing of the knowledge of God. What he's talking about is this not intellectual facts about him, but he's talking about a relationship with God. He's talking about intimacy with God. He's praying that not only will you grow in fruit, but that you will grow in this knowledge and in this intimate walk with the God who's calling you to serve. As John chapter 15 puts it, that you might abide with him. That you might be at home with him. And the reality is, unless we're abiding, we don't bear any fruit. The only way that we're going to be fruitful in ministry and service is that we're we're always increasing in the knowledge and our intimacy and in our walk with God. Now, how many of us need prayer for that? How many of us need prayer to grow in the fruit, to grow in the increasing knowledge of God? Then it says this. You see, all this is not something that we can just will in our own strength and power. Too much time in my life is spent trying to live the Christian life in my own power and my own strength. Too much of my life has been spent trying to mark off a list of do's and don'ts. The reality is that's not how Christian life is meant to be to be lived. So Paul prays this. He says he prays that we strengthened with all power according according to the glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks as he goes on. But he's praying that their ability is not found in their own ability to produce fruits or to know the knowledge of God's will or to even increase in their intimacy with God. He's saying that what I want you to be is I want you to be strengthened with God's glorious might in you to grow in these areas. And he says, particularly, he says it's for this. He says, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. See, the reality is Paul knew what the church in the Colossae was going to face. He knew that uh, uh, these false teachers were going to continue to come at them. And he knew that they're going to need steadfastness that has a, denotes more of a, a steadfastness in, in facing circumstances. And he knew that they would also need a, a patience that, that seems to note more of an aspect of patience with people. And so he prays that they would be strengthened with God's glorious might so they would have steadfastness and, and patience. And when I thought of this, I thought of my brethren in India. I thought of my pastor friend who was being beat because he led someone to Christ. And I said, oh, God, I, I need to pray. I need to pray that Kumar would be strengthened with your glorious might. That he would be steadfast. That as he boldly proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in villages that uh, despise Christ and what it really means to follow Christ, that he would be steadfast. 
And he said, Lord, I need to pray for him that he would be patient as he he deals with people who are struggling with following Christ because of the pressures that they're receiving at home. I need to pray for him. The reality is, don't you and I need the same prayers? Don't our children need the same prayers in the sense of 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 the pressures that they face as they go out each day? How about we pray for each other that we'll be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might so that we might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience in our life too. And last, he prays this. He prays that they might joyously be giving thanks or giving thanks to the Father. The last thing he prays is that he wants them to be marked by a people who are a worshipful people, who are are marked by a thankfulness in their life. There's nothing that helps us better stand amidst difficult circumstances and difficult people is when we step back and we look and we see all the things that we have to be thankful for. Thankfulness is also the antidote to what drives our consumer-driven and comfortable Christianity also, which is driven by selfishness. Thankfulness is the antidote to our selfishness. The selfish person says, I deserve what comes to me. I quote this, other people ought to make me happy. But the mature Christian realizes life is a gift from God and that the blessings of life come only from his bountiful hands. The mature Christian is thankful because we realize we're owed nothing. But God gives us our every need and he blesses us abundantly and we have much to give thanks for. Amen. He says, just in case, Paul says this in verse 12. He says, just in case you're, you're lacking something to be thankful for, for Paul says, let, let me share a few things with you, church at Colossae and fellowship. Just in case you're, you're wondering about what can I be thankful for, let me just list a few things for you. First of all, you can thank God that you have an inheritance. Look at that. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. That is, we didn't deserve to have an inheritance from God. But he qualified us in Christ that we might have the inheritance of the saints. Look at that. He even calls us saints. And I'm looking around here, and I know a lot of y'all don't live like saints because I don't know. But he's qualified us as saints. That's something to be thankful for. We don't have to earn something from God. He's just given it to us as an inheritance by the fact that he's declared us. He has qualified us as saints. That's something to give thanks for. Look at this, too, though. Verse 13, he says, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, this was this this was illustrated to me vividly. It was our last day in India where we stayed just over about 30 yards from us was a was a Hindu temple or was a t- temple of some sorts. And we happened to be out on top of the roof and we were eating our breakfast and we look over there and there's smoke coming up and we find out they're, they're making offerings. One of our tribe was the first to go and he went and explored it. And the rest of us came over and there were three of us who they invited us in and we actually walked inside the temple. And as I look, get in there, they're making these offerings of rice. 
And they're putting these down in front of, of these gods, this wooden monkey-looking thing. And the thought that goes through my head is, whoever eats this, all right? This, this idol never eats it. And as I stood there in between these group of idols in this building and this other idol here, and I was joined by Jason and, uh, and Chris, we decided right there we we're going to have a little prayer service. And we did. We prayed that God would just tear this place down and that God would rescue these people who were worshiping these, these idols. And to me, that was a vivid picture of the domain of darkness. And then I started to realize something else. Before Christ, I was in just as dark a place. My idols might not have been wooden monkeys, but there are other stuff. And so, too, that were in your life, too, right? And it's out of that darkness that God has delivered you and he has transferred you to his kingdom. That ought to get you a little excited. There you go. That ought to make you thankful. And how did all this happen? How was this made possible? Because in whom, that is Christ, in whom we have, he speaks of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That is through Christ's redemption. It's the picture of buying us off a slave block of sin. That Christ purchased us from that slave of slavery to sin. He purchased from us from that and he's forgiven us of our sins. That is, he no longer holds the debts against us for the sins that we have committed. That's something to be thankful for, is it not? How might we just be those kind of people who give thanks for these blessings of grace that God has given us? And we pray these things for each other. We have so much to give thanks for. I just got done teaching 30 to 40 men to preach while I was in India. And one of the things I taught them is is, is any good sermon, you always teach them how there's an introduction, there's the main body of the sermon, and then there's a conclusion. And in the conclusion, it's always nice to be able to get some kind of little story that just kind of captures the whole sermon. It's just kind of it's kind of forms like the cherry on top of a of an ice cream sundae. So you you always want to root one of those out. I don't have one today. I don't know if it's the jet lag grants or if it's the malaria pills I'm still taking. I couldn't find one. So I want to close this way. We're going to take this passage of Scripture and we're going to pray it. I'm going to lead you through just five minutes. Just hang with me. I know you all like to jump out of here. All right. Just for one one Sunday, pretend you're in India where they don't have time limits. All right. And I want us to take this prayer. I want you to open your Bibles, open the Bible up. I'm not done yet. Look at Colossians 1, 9 through 14. I'm just going to lead you through this. I want you to imagine if we prayed this kind of way for each other, for the loved ones in our life. If we got beyond the comfortableness of Christianity and the consumerism of Christianity and got to the real heart of what God desires in our lives, and that's sanctification. We prayed that way for each other. 
What might happen to our spouses, our children, to our church? So that's what we're going to do. I want you to bow your heads and Aaron's going to come and he's going to lead us. And what I want you to have in mind is I want you to think perhaps of your children. I want to I'm going to maybe perhaps your 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 spouse. Or someone you're discipling or trying to have influence on, maybe a a fellow brother or sister in Christ who's struggling in their in their walk with Christ. I want you to have them in mind. I just want you to use this prayer right now to pray for him, just to give you some practice. And I'm just going to lead you section by section, and I'm going to give you a pause. And I'm going to give you time to pray that aspect and whatever else God leads you that comes out of this aspect of the prayer. So let's first of all just go ahead and bow our heads. And quiet our hearts. God, we come now. We want to be a people of intercession. And, Lord, we want to come and pray for fellow believers, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Perhaps we even want to pray for ourselves, Lord. So now, Lord, we just want to use this model, not as something we remember. We say necessarily word for word every time, but just as a guide for us. And, Lord, first of all, I want us to pray that we might be a people who make a a regular habit prayer. Lord, I also want us to pray now that we have someone in mind that we might pray for this person for ourselves, that they may be filled or controlled by the knowledge of your will, Lord. Lord, we also want to pray that they're not filled just with the knowledge of your will, but they're filled with it in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, Lord, we pray this for a reason. We pray for these people that they will, whomever we're praying for ourselves, Lord, that they will they'll be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom so that they'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Lord. Or we just pray that we'll have lives that reflect you well. Lord, we also pray for these individuals that will seek to please God in all respects. Oh, because, Lord, only when we please you do we really enjoy 
the real pleasure of life, the eternal pleasures. Lord, now may we pray for our wives or our spouses or our children that they will bear fruit in every good work. Whatever that fruit may be, Lord, we ask that you will bring that about in their life. That it will ever grow in that and ever bear that. Lord, we ask that they'll be ever increasing in the knowledge of God, an intimate relationship with you. May that be the passion of their life to know you. To have relationship with you. Lord, we ask they might be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might. Lord, we can't possibly live this Christian life in our own strength. Oh, Lord, we are desperately dependent upon you to empower us and enable us. So, Lord, we come asking you that you strengthen us. And Lord, may you help us attain all steadfastness, patience. Lord, we want to so stop at the difficulties and circumstances of life, but we ask you give us the steadfastness. We ask you that you'll work in our children to have a patience. And Lord, we ask that we might pray for these people that we're praying for, that they will be a people of thanks. Giving thanks to you, Father, for all the things that you, Lord, have qualified us to share in. For all the things that you've done for us. And Lord, perhaps even now in the quietness of our hearts, we think of someone who's not a believer yet. And Lord, may we pray for them right now that you would rescue them from the domain of darkness and you would transfer them to the kingdom of your beloved son. Lord, whoever that person might be, may we pray for them right now.
God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here at Fellowship. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ in that far off village in India right now. And Lord, I pray this prayer right there in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. I pray that for us. Lord, help us be filled with the knowledge of your will. Lord, Help us, Lord, to live in a way that pleases you. Lord, help us to grow in fruit and increase in our relationship with you. Being steadfast and patience and joyously giving thanks to you, God. Lord, help us to be a people who do not get comfortable with the calluses of the consumerism and comfortableness of our Christianity here in America. But Lord, that we will dig deeper and we will pray more deeply so that we might grow to glorify you. It's the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. How do you know when you've... uh... You've heard and been affected by a good sermon and God's word, you know, when you live differently. And we've just encountered God's word and had it laid open for us. But not merely for us to go, that was that was real good. But for our lives to be changed by God's spirit, we live differently as a result of coming in contact with his word. So thank you very much, Matt, for leading us in that time.